So when we first come to place our faith in Jesus Christ and experience his forgiveness, we overflow with love for him, for Jesus. He is our joy. He is what we want to talk about more than anything else. He's our reason for living. But too often, as the years go by, our, our love for Jesus kind of diminishes. It, it fades. It, it shrinks. We still believe all the truths about Jesus, but our joy in him isn't the same. We, we have other things that are capturing our affections, our desires more. We, we don't love him as much. That can too often happen. And so I want to ask you just to think about this. How is your love for Jesus? Do you have the same love you had for Jesus at the very beginning? Has it grown less? Do you love Jesus less than you did a year ago or than you did 10 years ago? Has your love for Jesus diminished? Has it shrunk? Has it grown smaller? Now, if you look at your heart honestly and say that it has, then I have good news for you this morning. And this passage has good news because in Luke chapter 6, verse 36 through 50, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, Jesus is going to tell us what we can do to have our love for Jesus Christ grow, what we can do to have it increase so that we have not just the same love for Jesus we had at the beginning, but even more. So let's take a look. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Now here's some background. A Pharisee invites Jesus to his house to have a meal with the Pharisee and some of his friends. But in this city, there was a woman who everyone knew was a sinner. A sinner. And while they're eating, this woman comes into the home and the way she responds to Jesus is unusual. Shocking, really. So let's ask the question, how does this woman respond to Jesus? And let's start reading in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. And he, Jesus, went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. This would have been a sweet-smelling ointment perfume that they used. And standing behind him, Jesus, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, don't confuse this woman with Mary from Bethany, who was the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Here in Luke chapter 7, this is an entirely different woman, an entirely different event. We don't know this woman's name. All we know from Luke is that she was a sinner. He, he doesn't tell us what kind of sin. She may have been a prostitute. Luke doesn't tell us. We don't know for sure. And when she comes into the house, what she does, the way she responds to Jesus, is unusual, to say the least. She, she brought a, a, a flask with her of sweet-smelling ointment, 
and she stood behind Jesus at his feet. Now, I want to make sure you picture this right. In our Western cultures, we tend to sit at like a dining room table and we all sit in chairs around the table. That is not how they did it in this culture. In this culture, there would have been a low-lying, probably circular table in the center of the room, and all the guests would have been reclining on rugs and pillows, like on one elbow with the table right here, on an elbow so they could take food from the table, and they would be talking, but they're reclining and their feet are pointing outward, so like spokes on a wheel all the way around. And that's why this woman was at Jesus' feet. And as she was there, she was weeping. So much weeping that Jesus' feet were wet by her tears. Her tears were falling on Jesus' feet. Now, to understand what's going on here, we need to understand why she was weeping. Why is she weeping so much? Because we could easily assume that this weeping was sad weeping, sorrowful weeping. But if we read the rest of the passage, we see that is not the case. Look at what Jesus says. What Jesus says here just doesn't fit sad, sorrowful weeping. Verse 47, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, he's talking to the Pharisee, her sins, this woman's sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. So as she's weeping, what she's feeling mostly is love. Not sorrow, not sadness, love. Love for Jesus. And it's not a sad love because Jesus is going to be leaving. It's a joyful love because he's there. She's finally in his presence and she's worshiping him with tears of joy, weeping with joy. Think of videos you may have seen of a soldier um, who's been deployed overseas for many months and finally he's coming home. His plane lands, he gets off the plane, and his family are running toward him. And, and the kids, they all hug and the kids are laughing and, and the wife is probably weeping. She's probably crying, right? Why is she crying? Not because she's sad, but because she is so, so happy. And that's the same with this woman here in Luke chapter 7. She's weeping tears of love, tears of joy. And Luke says she was weeping so much that Jesus' feet were getting wet. So she's kneeling down, probably holding Jesus' feet tenderly, weeping with love, weeping with joy. And then she starts wiping his feet with her hair, drying them off. Then she tenderly starts to kiss his feet. This is all worship and joy and adoration. Then she anoints his feet with the sweet-smelling ointment that she brought. And all of this is coming from a heart of love. That's mostly what she's feeling here. I mean, think about it. Does she care about what anyone else in the room thinks? No. She is oblivious to everyone else in the room except Jesus. Is she doing, does she want to get done with this quickly so that she can go do something else which she'd rather be doing? No. This is where she'd most choose to be. This is what she most wants to be doing. 
She is worshiping, loving Jesus joyfully, shamelessly, extravagantly, passionately, exuberantly. This is an amazing picture of love, her love for Jesus. Now, we all have to ask the question, what's my love for Jesus like? If you have a scale of like love for Jesus from zero, which is no love, to 10, which is perfect love, maybe this woman's love is at a 9, 9.5, where would your love be? 8.5? Seven, two, zero. Where is your love for Jesus? Now, if we're honest, I think we'll all say our love is less than this woman's love. And we all want to love Jesus more. So we want to ask the question, where does this kind of love come from? What causes her to love Jesus in this way? Why does she love Jesus this much? So let's ask that question and start reading in verse 39 for the answer. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, the Pharisee's talking to himself, if this man were a prophet, now just pause there for a moment, the language here makes it clear that the Pharisee does not think Jesus is a prophet. So he's saying, if this man was a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So the Pharisee and, and everyone in that room and everyone in the town knew this woman was a sinner. And the Pharisee is assuming that if Jesus knew she was a sinner, he would not be letting her touch him. Keep reading in verse 40. Jesus knows exactly what he's saying to himself. It's verse 40, Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Jesus goes on, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, that was the currency at that time, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he, Jesus, said to him, You have judged rightly. Now, Jesus loves to use simple illustrations to help us understand complex truths. And that's what he does here. In that culture, if you owed someone money and could not repay, you either would be thrown in prison, you'd be separated, the family would be broken up, you'd be thrown in prison, or you'd be sold, all of you sold into slavery. Unpaid debt was a horrifying dilemma to be in. So here's the story. Two people owe money to a moneylender. One owed 500 denarii, which is like 20 months of salary. It's a lot of money. A year and a half worth of salary, 500 denarii. And the other owed 50 denarii, which is just two months of salary. It's a large amount, but not like the 20 months. And the moneylender does something shocking. He erases both debts, cancels both debts. 
So Jesus asks the Pharisee, now, which one will love the moneylender more? The one who owed the larger debt or the one who owed the smaller debt? And the answer is easy, and the Pharisee got it right. The one who owed the larger debt will love the moneylender more. So what's the point? Look what Jesus says, verse 44 and following. Then, I love this, turning toward the woman. So Jesus is looking towards the woman, but he's talking to Simon. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see her, Simon? Simon, look, do you see her? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? I mean, they know sin is against God, so it's God who does the forgiving of sins. Who is this who claims to forgive sins? We know the answer is Jesus, fully God and fully man. But they say, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he, Jesus, said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, why does this woman love Jesus this much? Why? The answer is right there in verse 47. Therefore I tell you, Jesus says, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Now here's a crucial question from this verse. Which came first? Jesus' forgiveness of her or her love for Jesus? Was it that first Jesus forgave her and then she responded with great love? Or was it that first she loved Jesus so much and then because she loved him so much, Jesus then forgave her? Which came first? Now we could think that Jesus, that, that her love came first because of verse 48. After, Jesus, after she's expressed such love, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. We could think that because that's after her expression of love, that the love came first and then Jesus forgave her. Except for one thing. Verse 50, which shows that that's not how it goes. Verse 50, Jesus says that someone is saved and forgiven for their sins, not because of their love for Jesus, but through their faith in Jesus. She was saved by faith alone in Christ alone. So it's not that her love caused Jesus to forgive her. It's not that her love came first. In fact, what came first wasn't the love or the forgiveness. What came first was her faith. And then as she trusted Jesus, she was forgiven for her sins. And then because she was so forgiven for her sins, she responded with an outpouring of beautiful love. So here's, here's how I would explain verse 47. Jesus is saying, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, 
are forgiven. That is, they've already been forgiven, and we know they've already been forgiven for or because she loved much. So see, the outpouring of love for Jesus that she shows displays that she has already been forgiven. And then in verse 48, when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, he is assuring her of what has already happened. So, her love is not the cause of Jesus' forgiveness. Her love is her response to Jesus' forgiveness. And that answers our question. We're asking, why did she love Jesus so much? And the answer is, because she saw how much she had sinned and she saw how much Jesus has forgiven. That's why she loved so much. Now, let me try to show how this might have all played out in terms of, of, of the story. Before she went into the Pharisee's house, days before, she had heard about Jesus and his teaching. She may have heard his teaching directly. We don't know. But she heard Jesus' teaching, and the Holy Spirit convicted her, and she knew she had sinned greatly against God. And she was under a weight of guilt, knowing that her sin separated her from God, and she faced judgment from God forever. And so she was living under the burden of this guilt, but she also heard that Jesus forgave sins. He forgives sins. And so at one point in her heart, she put her trust in Jesus. And the moment she trusted Jesus, the guilt of her sin was washed completely away, and God's loving presence broke into her life in a, in a powerful way, and she was filled with such love for Jesus that when she heard that Jesus was at the Pharisee's house, she came in, she fell down at Jesus' feet, and she starts worshiping him with joyful tears. You have forgiven me. Thank you. I love you. I worship you. That's, I think, how the story plays out. So we're asking, why did she love Jesus this much? What is it that fuels this kind of beautiful love for Jesus? Where does this kind of love for Jesus come from? I want this kind of love for Jesus. How do I get it? And the explanation is that she saw how much she had sinned and how much Jesus had forgiven. That's where it comes from. Now, Jesus has one other crucial truth that he wants to teach in this passage. And to see this truth, let's ask the question, why do some people love Jesus so little? Why? The answer is in verse 47, the end of verse 47. Let's read the whole verse again. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now, is Jesus saying that there are some people out there who need to be forgiven a lot, but there's other people out there who just need to be forgiven a little? I don't think so, because of what Jesus said back in Luke chapter 6. In Luke 6, Jesus says that we are all born bad trees who bear only bad fruits. By nature, by choice, we are all bad trees who only bear bad fruit. That is, all we do is sin. Now, that might be a shocking truth for you if you've never heard that before. We've talked about it in weeks past. But, I mean, think about it. 
even the kind things that, that we've done, even the generous things that we've done before we were saved had nothing of God in them. We didn't do them because we wanted to glorify God, because we were trusting God, loving God. They weren't an outflow of God's love. We were doing it so that we'd feel better about ourselves, or maybe so that we wouldn't feel guilty, or maybe so that other people might be impressed with us. But God had nothing to do with it. So even those things we did were not good because they had nothing of God in them. And so we were bad trees bearing only bad fruit. And that means we've all needed lots of forgiveness. No one just needs a little forgiveness. Every human being needs massive amounts of forgiveness. So why does Jesus say that there are some people who are forgiven little? What's his point? I don't think he's saying that there are some people who actually just need a little forgiveness. I think he's saying that there are some people who think that they only need a little forgiveness, if at all. They only think they need to be forgiven a little bit from Jesus, if at all. And so they only have a little bit of love for Jesus then, if they have any. And Jesus here, I think, is describing Simon the Pharisee. I think Simon the Pharisee didn't think he had sinned at all. And so he didn't think he needed any forgiveness from Jesus. Now here's why I say that. Three reasons. One, remember? He thought that this woman's sinfulness disqualified her from being there with them. Which means that he didn't see any problem with his sin disqualifying. Nothing about him was disqualifying. He could certainly be there with Jesus. He thought the woman was disqualified for her sin, but that he wasn't, which meant he had no sense of his sinfulness. Another reason he doesn't think he needs forgiveness from Jesus is he didn't even think Jesus was a prophet. If this man was a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this was. He didn't think Jesus was a prophet, so he certainly isn't going to be looking to Jesus for forgiveness. The third reason is because of how this Pharisee responded when Jesus came into his house. He did nothing for him. He showed him no respect, no affection, no love. He gave him no water for his feet, no kiss on his cheek, no oil for his head, Nothing. So we're asking, why do some people love Jesus so little? And the answer is because they think they only need to be forgiven a little, if at all, and so therefore they only love Jesus a little, if they love him at all. And that helps us then diagnose our own hearts when we are seeing our love for Jesus weaken when we see it shrink, when we see it fade away. When that's happening, it's because we have forgotten how much we have sinned. And so therefore, we have forgotten how much Jesus has forgiven. That's what's going on. When your love is shrinking, that's the cause. It's not because, oh, I've just really been busy. It's not the reason. It's not because, well, this is a lockdown, lots of stresses and strains going on now. That's not the reason. It's not because I'm just not really a very touchy-feely type guy. That's why I don't love Jesus much. Listen, if you're fishing and a fish hits your lure, boom, your heart's going to be going boom, boom, boom. You're going to be suddenly a very touchy-feely guy. Or if your favorite football team scores the winning goal in the last 10 seconds, woo, you're, okay, it's not because you're not touchy-feely. We're all touchy-feely about something. The reason 
we have little love for Jesus when we do is because we have forgotten how much we have sinned. And therefore, we have forgotten how much Jesus has forgiven. And I've seen that in me. Every time my love for Jesus is weak, every time I'm more excited about something else, every time it's because I have forgotten my sin and Jesus' forgiveness. Now, with that in mind, then let's close with this question. In light of that, how can we grow in our love for Jesus? Let me give you four steps that I have found helpful. I hope you'll find them helpful. First, confess your lack of love for Jesus. Confess it. We should all love Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what this woman was doing there weeping at Jesus' feet. She was loving Jesus with all her heart, all her soul, all her mind, all her strength. And that's a command. And when we are not loving Jesus more, we should confess that for the sin that it is. Confess it as the sin that it is. Second, then, ask Jesus to help you see how much you sin. Now, let me explain this. It is true that the longer we walk with Jesus, the less we will sin. But the longer we walk with Jesus, the closer we will get with Jesus. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more we will see our sin. So we will see more of our sinfulness the longer we walk with Jesus. Just like the closer you get to light, the more of your imperfections you see. So the closer you get to Jesus, the more of your sin you will see. You'll see more of like, oh, my envy, which maybe I wouldn't have noticed five years ago, but I was envious and, oh, I was really kind of snappy with my wife in that conversation yesterday. I was impatient with my kids. I've been neglecting prayer, been neglecting the scriptures. I've not been sharing the gospel with people. You, You will see more of your sin. The longer you walk with Jesus, the closer you'll get to Jesus. And the closer you get to the light, Jesus, the more you will see your sinfulness. John Newton was a slave trader. Tragic story of his earlier years. But then Jesus saved him. Oh, he repented. Oh, he was changed. Became a pastor for many, many years. He wrote the hymn we all sing, Amazing Grace. But listen to what he wrote to a friend in a letter. He said, depend upon it. If you walk closely with God 40 years, you will, at the end of that time, have a much lower opinion of yourself than you have now, because you will see more of your sin. Now, you might not like the sound of that. You might not like the idea of having a lower opinion of yourself, because our whole culture urges us to be constantly affirming ourselves. But listen, our joy is not in affirming ourselves. Our greatest, most lasting, most fulfilling joy is found in loving and worshiping Jesus. That's where joy is found. So the longer we walk with Jesus, the less we will sin. But we need to be asking him, help us to see more of our sin. And we will see more. And so we will love Jesus more. Ask God to help you see how much you sin. Third, Ask Jesus to help you see the wickedness of your sin. Because, see, you can see sin and not care about it. 
So ask Jesus to help you see the wickedness of your sin. I remember years ago, I, I became aware of how, how much I longed to be noticed by people. And so I, I knew this was sin. And so I started to pray, help me to see how wicked that is. Help me to see how sinful that is. And I'll never forget one day, just I had this picture in my mind of all of us in heaven. And there's Jesus standing ablaze with glory, glorious, majestic, love, compassion, perfection, shining with glory. And all the saints, all the redeemed from every nation, tongue, and tribe, we're all on our faces before him, worshiping him, loving him, praising him, celebrating him. But then I stand up and I shout to everybody, wait a minute, haven't I done anything? How come nobody's noticing me? Do you feel how horrible that would be? How evil and wicked that would be? Oh, I felt it. Deeply impacted me. So ask Jesus to help you see how wicked your envy is. How wicked your gossip is. How wicked your self-reliance and your pride and your prayerlessness is, your unforgiveness. Ask Jesus to help you see how wicked your sin is. It'll make you cherish Jesus' forgiveness all the more. Now, whatever you do, don't stop the process there. If all you do is look at your sin in number and in wickedness, you will be very discouraged. That's why one pastor said that for every one minute you look at your sin, take 10 minutes to look at Jesus and the cross and what he's done for you. That's good counsel. So that's the fourth step. Meditate on Jesus' death on the cross. Read the gospel accounts slowly. Read them again. Think about them. Read Isaiah 53, the Old Testament prophecy about Jesus' death. Read Romans 5, 1 Peter 3, 1 John 4, Colossians 1 and 2, many other passages. Read these passages. Think deeply about Jesus' death. And, and as you read about him dying, understand that his suffering, the horrifying suffering that he endured, gives us a picture of how wicked our sin is because that's what our sin deserves. Let that just impact you. That as he's suffering, he's being punished for your sin. And then let this show you Jesus' love, Jesus' mercy, Jesus' compassion. The reason he's on the cross is because he loves you. He's paying for your sins because he cares about you. He is suffering in his compassion for you. See Jesus' love and see the Father's love. God has demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God did not spare his own son, but with tears sent him to the cross because he loves you. He wants you to be forgiven and restored to him. So see the love of the Father. See the love of the Son. The cross is the most astonishing, beautiful, glorious picture of love. Anywhere in world history, anywhere in the universe, it's the cross. So feast your soul on that display of love on the cross. And then let it just ring in your ears Jesus' final words. It 
is finished. Paid in full. Complete forgiveness, past, present, future sins, forever. Glory. Now, as you take these four steps, as you confess your lack of love for Jesus as sin, ask him to forgive you, as you ask Jesus to help you remember, help you see more of your sin, help you see more of your sin, as you ask Jesus to help you see the wickedness of your sin, and as you spend time meditating, pondering the love of God the Father, the love of Jesus displayed on the cross, you will feel your love for Jesus start to rise. It, you'll feel it start to rise over the next hours, over the next days, maybe over the, over the next two minutes when you first begin, you will feel your love for Jesus rise. And your love for Jesus will become more shameless, more extravagant, more passionate, more joyful. And you will join this woman at Jesus' feet weeping with joy as you worship him. Now, we want to do this as we prepare for communion. So here's how this is going to work. Let me just explain, first of all, about what communion is. For those of you who need to be reminded, communion was established by Jesus so that all of his followers would have a time where we regularly come together to remember Jesus' death on the cross. And as we remember his death, and as we partake of the bread, which is a picture of his broken body, and as we drink of the cup, which is a picture of his shed blood, as we partake by faith, he will feed our souls with his grace. Peace will come. Assurance of salvation and forgiveness will come. Hope will come. Strength will come. Clarity will come. Faith will strengthen. Oh, he will feed our souls with his grace as we partake of the bread and the cup by faith. Now, communion is not for sinless people. None of us is sinless. Communion is for sinful people who are trusting Jesus to forgive them, to change them, to satisfy them. People who are repenting of their sin, trusting Jesus. If that's you, then let's partake of communion together now. So here's how this is going to work. In a moment, we're going to sing and worship with a beautiful song, how, how deep the Father's love for us. And as we sing that song, pray, confessing your lack of love for Jesus. Ask him, help me see more of my sin and ask him help me see the wickedness of my sin and then just through the words of the song feast your soul on the cross on the father's love jesus love and as we do that let's pray oh lord cause our love for jesus to increase so after we sing that song then i will come back up and lead us together in partaking of communion let's pray father i ask that you would move with great power upon each of us here right now. Help us to confess our lack of love. Lord, show us more of our sin. Show us more of the wickedness of our sin. And most of all, show us the beauty of your love, Jesus' love for us on the cross, and that it is finished. Lord, do that in our hearts now as we worship you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.